We are in Colossians chapter 3 today. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, uh, of course the words will be on the screen for you, but Colossians chapter 3. And I do wish you a Merry Christmas. It is still Christmas season, and you know that's one of my pet peeves at Christmas, that we prematurely end our Christmas celebrations. And so I know I can't change the American culture, I can't even change the Christian culture, I can't even change the culture of Olive Branch Baptist Church because it's so entrenched in us as American Christians, but I can every time this year stand on my soapbox and give you my speech. So that's what I'm going to do this morning as we get ready to go to Colossians chapter 3. It is the season where we decorate when the 26th comes, that tree goes to the curb, the decorations come down. Our uh, stores get rid of all of the Christmas stuff that they've had up since August, and they put in the Valentine stuff, and they have the white sails or selling pillows and sheets. And you want the Christmas music's gone. You wonder what happened. It's all over. And uh, really, we're just getting started celebrating Christmas. You all know the annoying song, 12 Days of Christmas. Well, it's just not made out of thin air. Christians for centuries have celebrated Christmas as a 12-day celebration. Today's only the fifth day of Christmas. The golden rings. Did anyone wake up this morning and have five golden rings as a gift? Uh, probably not. Sorry about that. But anyway, uh, I know why we're not celebrating. I know why we're hungover. And I don't mean hungover from drinking. I mean hungover from celebrating. All of the, the parties and all of the decorations, all the family, all the uh, gifts. I know it's because we've been celebrating for so long. We start way too early. Uh, we start celebrating at Thanksgiving. We've been celebrating for 30 days already. That's why we're worn out. But Christians for centuries would celebrate on the 25th and then celebrate for 12 days and looking forward to the 6th of January, which is the day of Epiphany, when uh, Christians would celebrate the wise men coming to see Jesus because he, they didn't come to see him when he was in the manger, when he was a baby. They came later, when he was in a house in Bethlehem, when he was a toddler. That's when they came to worship him and give him his gifts. And it's more than a celebration of the wise men coming. It's a celebration of the fact that the gospel, that the Messiah, that Emmanuel, God is with us, is not just for the Jews, it's for everyone. Uh, the, the wise men weren't Jewish. They were from the East. They were Gentiles. But they came. And they worshipped. And Jesus, even as a little toddler, accepted their worship. So that's what January the 6th is about. But most Christians, especially American Christians, don't even know anything about Epiphany or anything about January the 6th. We stuff the wise men in the manger next to the animals and to the shepherds. And we get it all over with on the 25th. But I want you to know that it's hard to believe that until the 18th century... January the 6th was more of a celebration than Christmas Day. That's hard to believe nowadays. But I want you to know that this is what we're in, the Christmas season. That's why the Christmas decorations are up. You want to keep your Christmas decorations up till January the 5th, the 12th day of Christmas, you do it. All your neighbors will have them down. They'll have them down before New Year's Day, but you can keep them up and say that you're celebrating the 12 days of Christmas. And as we think about Christmas, sometimes, especially as children, we wish that it could go on 
Every day. Wouldn't it be great to have December 25th every day of the year? Yeah, if you're a child and you're getting loads of toys, yeah, that would be a great thing to have every day. Well, if you lived in Santa Claus, Indiana, maybe it would go on all year long. I mean, they've got uh, uh, museums to Santa, and they've got a, I saw a picture of their town hall. It has a big statue of Santa, and they've got uh, Santa Claus and Christmas 365 days a year. For most of us, if it was all about the decorations and about the music, and it was Santa Claus 365 days, we'd be sick of it before February came around. We just only take so much of that. But also, though, don't we often think and wish and hope that the, the spirit of Christmas would last beyond the 25th? Don't we usually, even as an American culture, think of Christmas as a time of generosity? It's a time for giving. It's a time of goodwill. It's a time of peace. It's a time to put aside differences. It's a time to come together. And wouldn't it be great if that was part of our culture, our lives, our church all year round? Remember the Christmas carol that Charles Dickens wrote, Ebenezer Scrooge, and how he learns through the, the spirits who visit him to uh, celebrate Christmas and to have the spirit of Christmas. And he even says that his goal was to honor Christmas in his heart and try to keep it all the year. So as we come to 2020, I want to put two things together. One is we're still celebrating Christmas. But also we want to keep that Christmas going. But also this. As we come to a new year, how are you going to live it? And how are you going to celebrate beyond January the 1st? Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17 tell us how we can do that. So that's where we're going to be this morning. Paul writes in Colossians 3, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, Rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you and all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I want you to hear the first phrase where Paul tells us who we are. Knowing who you are is vitally important in how you live your life. If you're confused about who you are, you don't know what direction to go and you don't know how to act. But when you know who you are, you are able then to have a focus and directed life. And he tells us that we are God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. I want you to think about those words for a moment. To think 
how much you are loved by God. And God loved you when you were a sinner. God loved you when you were an enemy. God loved you when there was nothing lovable about you. That's when God loved you. And God loves us unconditionally. He doesn't love us because of the good in us or love us because of the good things that we do. He loves us as we are, who we are. And God loves us sacrificially. Jesus died on the cross in our place to show His love for us. That's how we are dearly loved by God. And God chose you to to save you and to make you His child. What, What a wonderful thought to think that God not only loved you, but chose you. And loved and chose you for a purpose, to give you purpose in life. We are holy people. That means that we're set apart. That means that we are dedicated to God for His service. Yes, it means that we live a righteous life, that we live a godly life, that we live a life doing what is right. But it's more than just a doing right. It is being set apart for a purpose. So think about that. Being set apart for purpose, unconditionally loved by God, chosen by Him. That's who we are. When you're discouraged, that should give you hope. When times are difficult, that should give you pause for joy to know who you are. Now, Satan will try to lie to you and tell you differently. Satan will lie and say, no one loves you. No one cares about you. He'll say you're worthless. He will point out your faults and your sins and your weaknesses and say, how could God love you? He'll pile on the guilt and the shame and and say, how could God choose you? How can you be good for anything? How can God use you? You're just worthless. But those are all lies. God loves us. He chose us. And He has a purpose for us. That's who we are. And if that's who we are, uh, children of the King, if we're ambassadors for Christ, then we should live and act like that. And that's where Paul continues to tell us how to live. If that's who we are, then there should be a certain standard. There should be a certain characteristic. There should be, uh, it should be obvious who our Father is. It should be obvious who our King is. It should be obvious uh, who's who we are standing for and who we are speaking for and who we are living for. And so people should see that in us. And that's what Paul talks about next. Uh, In the old days, and maybe the old days weren't too old or long ago for you, but there used to be a time when people were very serious about coming to church wearing their Sunday best. And so there were people who really only had one good set of clothes. So that was saved for special events. And a special event is Sunday, worshiping God. Maybe it was saved for a funeral or a graduation or a wedding. But that one set of clothes was the very best. And it was worn on Sunday to give our best to God. Now, of course, in our American Christian culture today... We don't focus so much on wearing the best clothes that we have and and looking our best on Sunday in an outward way. But what Paul is talking about in the next verses, 
is the same idea of putting on the right clothes, putting on what is our Sunday best. And as you heard me read it, it had nothing to do with ties or shoes or hats or blouses. It had to do with character. I want you to think about this. When you wear clothes and they get dirty, if you're like, my kids usually just throw them on the floor. Okay, I don't know how to, that's how, or maybe you put them in a laundry basket. Maybe you put them in a laundry room like this picture. In the earlier verses, Paul talks about things that we as Christians have taken off. He talks about sin, about evil, unrighteousness. Those are the dirty clothes that, because we are Christians, we have taken them off and we've thrown them in the laundry. We have thrown them in the, on the floor. Even better, we've thrown them in the garbage because that's not who we are anymore. So Paul says, you've You've got rid of those clothes. Now, who would be silly enough when it's time to come to church, when it's time to go to work, when it's time to go outside, you go to the garbage and get your clothes out and put them on. Or you go into the laundry basket and you dig down to the bottom and you put those clothes on. No one does that. Why would you put dirty, smelly clothes on? You don't. But too many Christians do that with our lives, the things that we have gotten rid of. The unrighteousness, the evil, the sin, we've gotten rid of it because Christ has saved us and made us new, but we take that and we put it back on. Paul says, don't do that. Instead, put on the righteousness, the character that shows that you are who you are. That you are a child of God. That you are loved by God, chosen by God, holy before God. So imagine going into this awesome closet you see here and going and picking out the finest clothes. Now, ladies, wouldn't you like to have a closet like that? I know my wife would. I know Sarah would love to have a closet like that. So we think of our Christian life of Paul is saying, don't put on the dirty clothes. Don't go into the laundry and the garbage and put them on. Go and put on your Sunday best. Put on your best clothes. Put on these characteristics, compassion, Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. These eight characteristics should be the clothes that we wear. Should be the character that people see. If someone said to, you know, said to describe you, these are some of the words they should use to describe you because you are a Christian. You are loved and chosen by God. Compassion. Being sympathetic towards others. Kindness, doing something about it. More than just being sympathetic, have some action and help. Being humble. Have a realistic view of who we are. We're not the center of the universe. Think of others before you think of yourself. Humble yourself before God, knowing that He is King and Lord and Judge. Being gentle toward others. Patience, we talked about that last week. And it's hard, you do have to bear with other people. 
That's not an easy thing. You have to put up with people because people are difficult and people are sinful and, and, and people aren't like you. But it's that bearing with one another and putting up with one another that shows how we are like Jesus. Doesn't he put up with us and bear with us? Forgiving each other. And this is the important part, how Jesus has forgiven us, how the Lord has forgiven us. And how has the Lord forgiven us? He's forgiven all of our sin. When we confessed, when we repented, He forgives. That's how we forgive each other. We don't hold grudges. God doesn't hold our sin against us. God doesn't give us the ultimate judgment for our sin. That's what Jesus has taken. Yes, we face the consequences of sin, but not the ultimate punishment of of death, not the ultimate punishment of hell. He doesn't hold it against us, so we don't hold it against others. And most of all, we love. Paul says, above all. It's it's the the last part, you might say, the the one piece that puts the whole uh, ensemble together. Maybe it's the, the hat Maybe it's the power tie. Maybe it's the shoes. Maybe it's the bling. I don't know. It's that last thing, that most important thing, just puts it all together. And you say, that's a sharp-dressed man. Or that is a well-dressed woman. That's what love is to our Christian character. When people see that, they say, yes, that is a called by God, loved by God, holy Christian. I see it in that love. And that love is what unites us as a body of Christ. Now Paul goes on to give us three commands that come from the inside. I want you to think about this. You can put on clothes that look like a doctor. You put on a white lab coat and a stethoscope, people listen to anything you say when it comes to medicine. Or you could put on an athlete's uniform and people might think you're an athlete. You know, you can put on a mechanic's uniform and they'll ask you questions about how to fix a car. Uh, you can put on a policeman's office, a uniform and people will think you have authority to arrest them. I mean, isn't it true that the, the clothes, the uniforms that are worn can be worn and people will think that that's who you are, but maybe you're not. Maybe you're a fraud. Maybe you slept at a Holiday Inn. Wasn't that a commercial a few years ago? So you're not really a doctor, you're not really a policeman, you're not really a nurse, you're not really those things, but you can wear the clothes that makes it look like you are. Now that can happen for Christians too. Uh, For a time, and in certain circumstances, you can look like a loving, caring, compassionate person, but maybe deep down that's not who you are. And in time, it will come to the front the facade will break down. People will really see who you are. And that's why it's so important that we're really in the inside, what Paul commands us to be in the next verses, so that love and that compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, forgiveness is genuine and it's real. And those clothes match who we are in the inside and match who we are as children of God. And so he says... To let peace, the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule in your hearts. 
So inside there should be a peace. Christ's peace. That comes because we have a right relationship with Him. Our sins have been forgiven. We are saved. There's not chaos. There's not uh, being tossed back and forth with doubt. There, there's not anxiety. There's a peace. And it says that peace rules. That the idea is like an, an umpire and in an athletic game and a competition. So what should be there in our heart is this peace of Christ that rules, that judges, that controls who we are. That's there in the inside. There's a simple command, three little words, and be thankful. In fact, Paul in the following verses says it two more times. To sing with gratitude in our hearts and to Live for God, giving thanks to God the Father. When deep inside of us there is thankfulness, there's gratitude, that solves a lot of the problems we face in life. Those who aren't thankful are complainers. They're whiners. They're not satisfied. They're often jealous. They're often chasing for more and more and never satisfied and not getting enough. They look at others and can't celebrate what others are doing or have or accomplishing because they're envious of what others have. And so when the inside of us there's a, a gratitude, there's a thankfulness for who God is and for what He has done for us. Paul says that with godliness and contentment there is great gain. To be content with who we are. To be thankful for what we have. Helps to bring that peace. And keeps us from the turmoil and the uneasiness. And being unsatisfied. And always looking for more and searching for more. We don't need to do that when we are thankful people. The other command is to let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. The idea is that the Word of God is not just coming in the door and going out the back door. The Word of God is just not in one ear and out the other ear. The Word of God isn't just something that you uh, listen to one day a week or you touch every now and then. It dwells in you. It's part of you. It's, it's who you are because you've read it and you've meditated on it and you understand it and you learn it and you live it out. When the Word of God dwells in us, it gives us the ability to teach. It gives us the ability to admonish or to correct ourselves and others. And notice what flows out of that. There comes a joy because it talks about singing. I know sometimes when you're sad, you're singing because it's a way to get the sorrow out. But most of us, Sing when we're joyful and when we're excited. That's what flows out of having the Word of God dwell in us. Notice singing to one another, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and 
Some people try to, to very tightly define what those are. To me, it doesn't matter. They're just songs. You know, whether you're singing a song that David wrote or singing a, a song that uh, Bill Gaither wrote or you're singing a song that you wrote or you're singing a song that you heard on the radio or heard in church, if you're singing it to God, then you sing it and you sing it with joy. And notice, again, that this song, this joy is to God. The choir doesn't sing for you, and the praise team doesn't sing for you, and, and you don't sing for your neighbor. When we sing, we're singing to God. We do it together because doing it together does encourage us. We could all sit at home and just sing to God. It probably wouldn't sound as good, okay? and it wouldn't be as encouraging. So we do it together. But as we're doing it together and encouraging each other and enjoying it, it's all for God and to God. And notice again with the gratitude in our hearts. We're not singing out at, because we're moping around. We're not singing out of drudgery or because we have to. We're singing because we're thankful and there's gratitude in our hearts. And then Paul gives one last thing. A singular purpose in life. He's told us what clothes to put on, what character to have. He's told us what to have inside, to have peace, to have the word of Christ dwelling in us, to have a thankful heart. But all of that is lived out in one and only one purpose. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Notice, whatever you do, that really covers everything, whether word or indeed. Really, everything you do is either talking or doing or you're thinking about it, okay? So whatever you are thinking about saying, whatever you're thinking about doing, or whatever you are saying or you're doing, that covers everything you do in life. You don't have anything else. So again, that shows us, again, everything. Then just to make sure we understand it, Paul says everything. So to get it, so whatever, word and deed, everything. So what does that encompass? Encompass is everything, everything you do in life. You do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. So what does it mean to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus? Well, again, think about who we are. It means lots of things. One thing is that we are... Again, called by God, loved by God, chosen by God. In a sense, we are His ambassadors. So when people hear us and see us doing something, they should see and hear what Jesus would do. So Jesus isn't here on this earth, so we are here in His place. And so if we're doing something in the name of Jesus, we're doing something Jesus would do. If we're speaking in the name of Jesus, we're doing something that Jesus would do. It also means to... Everything we do should be thought of in light of the fact that Jesus is listening. Jesus is watching. Also, everything that we say and we do should be for Him, for His glory. It's not ultimately for us. It is for Him. So everything we do should be for Him. Everything we do should be in His place. Everything we do, we should be acknowledging the fact that Jesus is listening and He's watching. And if you do that, then we're doing everything in the name of Jesus.
That's how we are to uh, live our life. That's how we can keep Christmas all year in our heart. Now, I have, I've summarized all these verses just in this one slide. And I encourage you to look, to read. If you haven't been listening at all, that I've been speaking, preaching, you can just read up there. That tells you everything you need to know, okay? Look up there as you've been listening, or maybe you're reading for the first time because you've been checking out. Think about this coming year. Think about where you are right now and how what Paul says in these verses, you can take, you can use, and you can live it out in your life. Maybe you need to hear who you really are. Loved, dearly loved by God. Chosen. Holy. Set apart for a purpose. Maybe the clothes you've been wearing have been dirty and smelly and disgusting. You need to put those back in the garbage and put on the godliness of those characteristics. Maybe you have been a fake. You're wearing the clothes, but inside that's not who you really are. Dig down a little deeper. In your heart, is there gratitude? Is there peace? Is the Word of God there, living there, motivating you, moving you? And maybe you need some direction this year. I gave up making resolutions a long time ago just because I never make them. So what's the point of keep? I, mean, I never keep them. So what's the point of making them if you're not going to keep them? Right? I just try to, to focus on uh, changing my life for the better continually throughout the year rather than trying to do it all at the beginning of the year. But maybe you are one that makes resolutions. Here's a great one to make. And everything you do and say in 2020, do it in the name of Jesus. So look at that uh, slide, meditate on the truth of those verses. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to respond to the Lord as we sing, but also responding in our heart. I know I say this every once in a while, I want to say it again. What, my prayer for myself and for all of you every Sunday is that when we leave the sanctuary, we are different people than when we came in. That we are either closer to God, we know more about God, we're more obedient to God. So don't leave here today or leave here any Sunday without changing something, responding to God in some way. Otherwise, you've just heard some guy stand up in front of you and talk to you. You've just heard songs being sung. That doesn't change your life. You could... Do that anytime, anywhere. Now, we've come to, to God's house and His presence so that He can change us, transform us. So take this time as I'm praying as we're singing to respond to God and what He has said to you this morning. Lord Jesus, my prayer is for me and my brothers and sisters that we would live our lives in 2020 doing everything in word and deed in your name. Lord, I pray that we would be genuine and on the inside would flow your Holy Spirit and your character that would be seen by all on the outside. And I pray, Lord, that we would not listen 
to Satan and his lies, but would know that we are dearly loved, we are chosen by you, and that we are set apart to be holy before you. Lord, I know in this coming year, there'll be surprises, good ones and bad ones. There'll be the unexpected. We'll see you do things that are miraculous and seemed impossible. We will see you do things that we don't understand. Lord, we will have to live this coming year as we have lived the last one. With faith, with obedience, with love. So I pray, Lord, that we would prepare ourselves for this coming year. And that, Lord, we would come into it with great expectation that you are going to do the impossible and you are going to do things in our individual lives and the life of this church that we could never even think of or imagine and praise you when we see you do it. That's my prayer, Lord, and I pray this now, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.